All right, we are finishing up a six-month study, believe it or not, on how to, how to live by the book, how to study the Bible. And as we finish up, I told you that I didn't necessarily want to finish on a uh, difficult passage Bible study like we did last week, but rather something that you can do and you can take and you can use uh, immediately in your uh, Bible class study, uh, in your own personal study, as you uh, grow in knowledge of God's Word. That's what we're all about. That's what we want to do is we want to be people who live by the book every single day. And hopefully some of these things, um, some of these handouts, some of these studies that we've done will enable you better to dig deeper into God's word and to get more out of your Bible study uh, as it is that you uh, study more as a uh, daily Bible reader, a daily Bible studier. We are talking this morning about a simple verse-by-verse study. Verse-by-verse study devotional method is... Uh, really wanting to take a short passage of Scripture in some detail by asking questions, by finding cross-references, and paraphrasing each verse. Then you record a short application for each verse that you study. The goals are simple. Number one, to gain insight from God's Word, even when time may be short. Folks, it's, it's like all things. Um, sometimes we feel like in our prayer life that if our prayers aren't long, then they're not effective. That is, if I don't pray at least five minutes and I don't use all the right phrases, then my prayers are not going to necessarily be effective. That's not true at all. In fact, you find in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah praying short prayer arrows up to God uh, regularly. God, remember me for good. Lord, remember me or remember my enemies. Um, sometimes it is that in our lives, just in our prayer life, all we can offer at the time is just a short prayer. Uh, Nehemiah, as he began his ministry, or it was that he was praying and fasting for uh, several months, and then he had an opportunity because the king noticed as he was a cupbearer, uh, the king, uh, he came in before the king, and the king noticed Nehemiah's downcast presence and said, Nehemiah, what's wrong? Nehemiah said, I prayed right then. I can't imagine that he said, hold on, king, let me, let me bow together and let me pray just for about 15 minutes and then I'll answer you. Instead, it was probably, God help me to have wisdom in the situation and then spoke. Sometimes it is that we treat our Bible study that if we don't study massive sections of scripture at a time, that our Bible study is not effective. And then absolutely the opposite can be true. Sometimes it is that just a simple verse that you can have uh, on your wake up screen when you open up your phone. Uh, he must increase, but I must decrease, John 3, verse 30. Uh, in everything, give thanks, 1 Thessalonians 5. You find just a simple, short verse can sometimes mean more than hours and hours and hours of Bible study. Repeating that over and over and over and over in your mind and letting that meditate, letting that steep in your mind and your heart can really take root and change you for the better just by simply studying a short verse or a short section of verses. So realize that as we do a verse-by-verse study, it's, it's for the time restraint. <laughs> it's for maybe people that don't have a whole lot of time, and that's okay. Um, it's just a matter of, of getting that done. Number two, using this type of study as a part of a longer, a book survey or a thematic study. Um, I'm going to study the book of Philippians. We talked a number of times throughout this quarter about the book of Philippians and how it's a book about having the mind of Christ. It's about a book about having Christian joy. Maybe I want to take a Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength or Christ who strengthens me. And within the context of having the mind of Christ, how is it that I comply Philippians 4 verse 13? Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. How can I take rejoicing in the Lord and how is that going to mean more to me if I have the mind of Christ? 
How is that going to help me if I'm trying to have the mind of Christ? How can I add those things together? Um, finding application in each verse of a passage. There are five simple steps in verse-by-verse -verse analysis. Number one, write out a personal paraphrase of each verse. Try and stay true to it without adding extras. <coughs> Note, a paraphrase is just putting it in your own words. He must increase, but I must decrease. How would we paraphrase something like that? How would you put that into your own words? Put Christ first. Okay. Christ's got to be first in my life, but what's the second part? I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. What does that mean? How would that fit into Dale's paraphrase? He put Christ first, but what? I've got to put myself in the lowest spot. I've got to strive for this lowest spot. I've got to continually humble myself as that is that I'm trying to live for Jesus. I want him to be exalted, and I want to be humbled. That's a great way to say it, and that's a great way to put it in your own, own words. All right, write out a personal paraphrase of each verse. You're trying to stay true to the verse without added extras. Number two, list some questions and whatever answers or observations you find. Ask your questions on words, persons, topics, doctrines, etc. Uh, find good cross-references for each verse. Are there verses who kind of say something similar or maybe in a similar context? Are there verses that, uh, that seem like, especially if you look at the book of Proverbs, maybe the book of Psalms, are there verses that say the exact same thing in a different context? Uh, are there ways that, uh, that the psalmist uses this, that maybe a New Testament writer uses this in a different, uh, uh, different application, maybe about the Messiah? Um, looking at the concordance, that is that book that, that gives us all the Strong's numbers, all the different words, the New Testament and Old Testament, and putting those together and saying, okay, where is this particular word used without, uh, throughout the rest of the Bible? And number four, write down some personal insights discovered. Having thought uh, through words, phrases, concepts in each verse, record your insights. So again, we're, we're detectives, folks. You got your um, notepad. You walk into a scene where you're looking around trying to discern what happened. You're going to write down those things that seem to be of importance and things that seem to be of note. And as you're surveying the whole, you also want to look at the details. You want to look at how those details fit into the big picture. Uh, I know that some of y'all probably like those CSI shows. That's kind of what we're doing, except we're doing it with the Bible. We're looking and saying, how did this apply to the first century writers? How does this fit in with the context of the Bible as a whole, the New Testament or Old Testament as a whole, uh, the book that we're studying as a whole, the chapter that we're studying as a whole, and then looking at the details and seeing how they all fit. It all matters. Immediate context, what's right here, but then also remote context, what's in the larger picture. And lastly, find a personal application or a project based upon the verse. Um, when you do your personal applications and when you make personal applications, folks, beware of generalities. Sometimes it may be that the generality just says it best. I need to have more faith in my life is a generality. <clears throat> Based upon this verse, I need to be a more faithful person. That's a generality. What would be a specific application of having more faith? Need to trust in God more. Again, a generality. Specifically, I need to trust in God more blank in my speech, in my thought life, in my prayer habits, in my spending habits, in the way that I use my resources, 
uh, specifically my time, my talents, my energy, my money. I need to trust in God and I need to let him change me from the inside out with the types of things that I look at, with the types of ways that I behave around my office workers. Um, all of these things are specifics. They're not just, I need to trust God more in my life, but I need to trust God more in my giving. I need to trust God more in my praying. I need to trust God more when it is that I uh, deal with that person that pushes my buttons. Again, looking at the generalities uh, is, is good, but if I can make specific application of whatever it is that I'm dealing with, it's going to make a big difference in how it is that I view those things. Yes, sir? Maybe in a difficult, specific situation, in a crisis. And that's exactly the reason why we want to have God's word in our heart. Um, Proverbs 1. Proverbs 1 uh, personifies wisdom. Talks about wisdom as a lady who's standing in a street corner and standing in the open market square saying, how long are you going to not listen to me, you simple ones? Listen to me. Listen to me and live. And it's the ones that turn aside and listen to that wisdom, again, godly wisdom. And it's those ones that are going to live whenever it comes time for this crisis situation. If you look at the end of Proverbs 1, he's going to talk about it in terms of those people that choose not to listen to wisdom. And in the day of their crisis, in the day of their calamity, wisdom's going to say, I'm going to sit back and I'm just going to watch. Because there's not going to be a whole lot that I'm going to be able to do for you if you have spurned me up until this point. We listen to God's wisdom and we hold fast to God's wisdom because it's going to make a difference in our lives, especially, as Danny mentioned, when those crisis times come and we want to be prepared for those. We want to be prepared not only in the good times, but also in the bad. Good comment. Any others as we uh, jump into our practical? All righty. Turn to your Bibles, please, to Psalm 119. Excuse me. Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is notorious for a reason. Its uh, notoriety is gained because it's what? Of the Bible. It's long. Thanks, Debbie. How long is it? It's not like a joke. It's a how long is it? Hundred and what seventy six verses? Verses. I'm sorry. <laughs> Psalm one nineteen is a hundred and yes one seventy six. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Psalm one nineteen is a hundred and seventy six verses long. It is the longest chapter in the Bible, if you want to call it a chapter. Um, what we may not realize, and what we ought to think more on, is this would be a great place to start if we're not into daily Bible reading. Why is that? Because Psalm 119 is all about what? In every single verse, what are you going to find? Look at it. Uh, start at the very beginning. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in, underline it, the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep, what? Underline it, his testimonies, who seek him with a whole heart. They do no iniquity. They walk in, underline it, his ways. You have commanded us to keep underline it, your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep, underline it, your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into, underline it, your commandments. I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn, underline it, your righteous judgments. 
I will keep, underline it, your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. Just in the first eight verses, what are we ascertaining about Psalm 119? What am I going to find in every single verse? You're going to find God's word in every single verse of 176 verses. Every single time he's going to use different synonyms, maybe different phrases, maybe different terminology to refer to God's word. Great study would be to take Psalm 119 and look at all the different terms that he uses for God's word, your testimonies, your statutes, your commandments, uh, your precepts. Look at all those different things and look at the different variety of definitions for those words and get those in your mind and get those in your heart because that's the way the psalmist describes the word of God. <coughs> as we look at this and as we look at Psalm 119, it's not just about it's not just about the word of God, but then he breaks it down even further. All right. Look back at Psalm 119. Every eight verses, every eight verses, you see a new funny little word that's sitting right up above it. Right. Maybe in the in the superscript of your Bible. What's the very first one that you get right before the word blessed in there in verse one? Olive. Look down at verse nine. Bet. What's the next one? Gimel. Uh, verse twenty five. Dalit. Next one, verse 33, hey, or he, hey, you look and you see that, you know what we're doing? We're going from the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet all the way down to the very last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And if I, we were to take a Hebrew Bible, we were to look at this this morning from Psalm 119, you know what we would see? If we would see the letter A beginning every single line of verses 1 through 8. We'd see the letter B beginning every single line of verses 9 through 16. We'd see the letter C or uh, Gimel uh, beginning every ver uh, line from verse 17 through 24. So what he's doing is in eight verse increments is he's taking the letter A. A, the word of God is important. 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 B, what am I going to say? The word of God is important. From A to Z in our English language, he is taking every single letter of the alphabet eight times and putting this down so that it is that somebody can understand that the word of God is important. Question, who would you use something like this for? Children. Self. Self. It would be something that might be memorable to the Hebrews. It would be, I think, something that they might use in their Bible classes. In talking about learning your letters. I can imagine a Hebrew mother saying, all right, son, here's what we're going to do. We're going to work on the letter A today. I want you to write down the letter Aleph there, and I want you to recite verse 1. I want you to write down the letter Aleph again, and I want you to recite verse 2. I want you to recite, or I'm going to recite it to you if the child just learning the letters. I'm going to want to write down the letter Aleph, and I want you to, I'm going to recite it, verse 3 to you. On and on and on, and now you've got something that the child's not just learning rote, but the child learning rote about what? The Word of God being important to them. Word of God being important in their life. And so as you look at Every single verse of Psalm 119, it's all about the Word of God. 
It's funny to me also that in each individual section, it emphasizes something different perhaps about the Word of God that maybe the previous section or the next section doesn't emphasize. Note what he talks about in verse 1. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. It's kind of like he's going to open this up just like Psalm 1. This very, uh, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law he meditates day and night. There's the principle. There's what we need to get. There's who we want to be as God's person. As people who are trying to walk after Christ, verse 1 Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. What's that going to look like in my life? Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. They do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Oh, don't forsake me utterly. There's a shift between this guy who walks in the law of the Lord, who keeps his testimonies, who seeks him with the whole heart. Verse 4, God, you. Now I'm switching audiences. Now I'm in the second person. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Then it shifts to first person. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. You get the sense that here's this righteous man. Here's this person that's walking uprightly. And God, I know that's what you want. I know that's what you commanded. And yet I look at myself and I see what? I'm not the person I ought to be. I'm not walking as I ought to with the word of God. I'm not spending my time seeking you with a whole heart like I ought to. Oh, then I would not be ashamed, verse 6, when I look at all your commandments. I get the sense, again, just reading it from the face level, that this person may say, you know what, I've done some things that I'm ashamed about. You ever think about those things that cause you shame and that cause you pain when you look back on them? The ways that you behave, the words that you said, the things that you thought about. And then you come back and you say, if I could just take that back, I would. Those are never going to be the things that God wants us to do. I'm going to say it a different direction and like try and make it uh, make sense in my head first. Those are the things that, folks, when we do things God's way, we're never going to have to experience that. When we do things God's way and we do things with God's motive, seeking him with the whole heart, you realize you can live your life without shame. You can live your life without fear and without pain of those bad decisions, those poor judgments. That's a great thing. You, know, you look at... The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. When you look at that and you say, when I'm pursuing after those things, I'm bearing the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I don't have anything to be ashamed about. I don't have to hide anything. I used to have a poster on my classroom wall that said, uh, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you said. When do we get in trouble? When do we get ashamed? We get ashamed whenever we get caught in a lie. Oh, they knew what I did. Oh, no, I've got to try and cover this up. And before too long, we make a mess because we tell a lie to cover up that lie, and then we have to tell another lie to cover up that lie. And before too long, we're in this web of lies before it finally comes crashing down on us. And that's one of those times and motives where we're just going, oh, I wish I'd told the truth to begin with. 
You know what? You do things God's way. You seek him with the whole heart. You strive to be a person of integrity and character like we're talking about here in Psalm 119. You follow after his word and you don't have to worry about being ashamed because you're following after God's law. There's nothing that you have to hide. Verse 9, take a look at how this is a little bit different. How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to, underline it, your word? With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Underline it. Your word, underline it, I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me, underline it, your statutes. With my lips I have declared, underline it, all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies, underline it. As much as in all riches, I'll meditate on, underline it, your precepts. And contemplate, underline it, your ways. I will delight myself in, underline it, your statutes. I will not forget, underline it, your word. You start out talking about a young man who needs what? What's he need there in verse 9? He needs forgiveness. He needs cleansing. Here's a young man who hasn't been seeking God with all of his heart. Here's a young man who hasn't been living the way that he ought to. Question, can that young man be cleansed? Yes. Question, how can that young man be cleansed? How can a young man cleanse his way? Answer, what's it say? Verse 9. It's rhetorical. <laughs> by doing what the word says. Excellent paraphrase, Debbie. By taking heed, by listening intently to your word. You want to find out how that young man who is face down in the gutter on Sunday morning because of everything that he'd done on Saturday night, full of shame, full of regret, full of pain, full of difficulty, full of sorrow. You want to find out how a young man like that who is, well, living in this sinful lifestyle, how he can make his life clean. What's the answer? He's got to turn to what? The word of God. He's got to go to the word of God and say, how can I make this right? And the answer is by listening to what God says. The answer is you can't make this right, but God can. The answer is that you've got to follow God with your whole heart, to seek him with your whole heart, to follow him in, your, in his will. And so it is, we look at our verse for study here this morning in Psalm 119 and verse 11. And this is back to your sheet if you like, but, uh, or you can say in your Bible. What does he say? Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Simple enough, right? Giving you a couple different translations there on your sheet. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's the New King James and American Standard 1901. Uh, King James says, thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Uh, the English Standard, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Um, Young's literal translation, in my heart I have hid thy saying that I sin not before thee. Um, if you want a, somebody else's paraphrase, the Living Bible, PLB, um, I've thought much about your words and stored them in my heart so that they would hold me back from sin. Interesting. How would you paraphrase Psalm 119 verse 11? Again, part of this process is being able to say it in your own words. I found I had a difficult time with this because... Seems like when you get just as simple as you can to all these, uh, all these little one-syllable words, uh, there's not really a whole lot better way to say it, right? I put your word into my mind, into my processes, 
For what purpose? So that I can be the man that you want me to be. So that I can walk righteously. So that I might not commit that which is an offense to God. Write it in your own phrase. Write it in your own words. Make a paraphrase of the verse that makes sense to you, striving to stay true to the verse. Now, observation. What does the text say? What does the text say? Okay, Debbie says it means that, uh, or it says that you have to do more than just read it. Okay, uh, there is a process beyond reading that has to be put in place before we actually get the benefits of the Word of God. Absolutely right. I would say, yes, that's, uh, that's right. John? It applies that you have a desire to do God's will. That's exactly right. There is a seeking, there is a um, asking and knocking, as Jesus would say there in Matthew 7. There is a continual wanting to do what pleases God. How do we know the psalmist has this at this point? What have we seen just in the letter bet here in the verses 9 to 16 that may indicate that? <coughs> he asked the question, how can I cleanse my way? Here's the answer, by taking heed according to your word. What has he done there in verse 10 that leads into verse 11? With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. There is an attitude that God is going to bless, brothers and sisters. It is a wholehearted dedication to the word of God and a desire to say, I don't want to stray to the right hand or to the left. I want to follow God and his word fully. I want to make this so much a part of my life that with my whole heart, I'm not being strayed from anything else. I'm not going to listen to man's wisdom that may tell me, y'all, that's all right, just love yourself, everything's going to be fine. I don't want to be pulled away from God's commandments. With my whole heart, I've sought you. Why? Because I desire that cleansing of verse 9. Because I want to be that, uh, that person that, uh, that's, that's, that's washed from his sins, that doesn't have to worry about the past anymore, that doesn't have to, to think about all those shameful things with a shameful attitude. Absolutely, those things should cause us shame, but to the point where we realize the blessing of what we've been given. Sometimes it is that we don't think enough about where we came from, and so we don't necessarily appreciate where we are. Um, where were you before you became a Christian? Where were you before you asked the question, how can I cleanse my way? Where were you before you began to think about taking heed according to God's word? And wasn't there desire after you became a Christian to say, I have sought God with my whole heart, God, don't let me wander away from you. Let my heart never wander from thee. Never leave the God I love. Kind of, oh, thou fount of every blessing. Isn't that the song that we sing that talks about that? Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. I don't want to wander away from God. I want to hold on to what God has said. I want to hold on to what God has revealed in his word. And then he gets verse 11. Here's a man who wants cleansing. Here's a man that's got the cleansing. Here's a man that's got the desire to seek him with the whole heart. What does that entail? As Debbie mentioned, it's so much more than daily Bible reading. What is it? It's taking the word of God and what? Delighting in it. Applying, excuse me, yes. Applying. Where do you hide it? Where do you put it? 
your word I have hidden on my bookshelf so that when Sunday morning rolls around, I have to scour the house going, where's my Bible, where's my Bible, where's my Bible? Your word I have hidden in my car underneath a pile of all these different little things that get piled up all over the place. Your word I have hidden in the pew, in the Bible, in the seat pew. Your word I have hidden in the lost and found box in the foyer. Where is the word of God going to make a difference in your life? When you hide it, where? In your heart. For what purpose? Because the preacher says it? Because the elders say that daily Bible reading is important? Because if I don't, then I'm not able to write a little seven down there on my attendance card to say that I've read the Bible every single day this week? What's the purpose for hiding the word of God in your heart? To guide you in your life. What does verse 11 say? To keep me from going away from God. To keep me from being drawn away like verse 10. To keep me clean like he says there in verse 9. You see how it all connects. To keep me as a person who, look at verse 12. You haven't talked about verse 12 yet. Blessed are you, O Lord. What is that? How does that apply to hiding God's word in our heart? What are we doing when we bless the Lord? If we don't exalt God, we don't place in the right position in our lives. Absolutely right. But when I say, blessed are you, O Lord, what am I doing? What action am I performing? It's a worship action. How does hiding the word of God in my life affect my worship? Hmm. It helps you have the right attitude. Absolutely right. Yes, ma'am. We sing a song like uh, Let My Heart Not Wander From Thee. Again, I'm butchering the words of Oh, that found a very blessing. You can look it up, it's in your songbook. But you find that a lot of the times when we sing songs in worship, you know what we're going to be singing? We're going to be singing passages of Scripture or passages that are directly in line with passages like what we're talking about here in Psalm 119. Question. Here's me asking, how can I cleanse my way? What's the answer? Verse 9. By taking heed according to your word, putting the word of God in my heart. Here's me. With my whole heart, I have sought you. What's the implication? The implication is I've received the cleansing of what I've wanted there in verse 9. I'm now clean. God, don't let me wander from you. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. When we have necessarily spent time applying God's word, as Debbie mentioned, if we spent time dwelling on and letting the word of God meditate in our lives, you know what our tendency is going to want to be. It's going to want to be to come and worship and say, thank you, God, because I'm not that person anymore. Thank you, God, because I'm not face down in that gutter anymore. Thank you, God, because I'm not this person that I've experienced shame and revulsion of. And now it is you've made me a brand new man in Jesus Christ. You know what? When we've done that work and when we have looked at God's word in that respect, you know what's going to happen? We're going to look forward to Sunday mornings. 
we're going to look forward to times when we can, in just a few moments, as we are going to do, sing out our praises to God where we say, Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. I'm ready for every single one. I'm ready to receive everything that you have to say because I recognize the difference between this person and the difference between this person. Your worship is going to follow where your heart is. And your worship is going to follow what you have put in your heart that previous week. Psalmist said, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you, O Lord. When shall I come and when shall I appear before God? Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2. And as he talks about that, how did the psalmist get that dry deer thirst for God? It is because he spent time storing up the word of God in his heart. He spent time cultivating that desire for God. You know why it is that so many people leave out of worship and say, I just didn't get too much out of worship this morning. It's because they forgot to say the words of verse 12. Blessed are you, O God. You have been so good to me. You have picked me up and turned my life around. You have made me into the man or the woman that I am. And you have made me everything that I ought to be in Christ Jesus. I am seeking you with my whole heart. What can I do but say thank you, God? I'm so glad for this opportunity to get together and to worship with fellow brethren. I'm so glad that the song service this morning was so edifying. I'm so glad that preacher spoke us specifically on that message because that's just what I needed to hear. And we're so hungry for the word of God and we're hungering and thirsting after righteousness like Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6 that when we come out of worship, you know what? We're full. Our cup is overflowing because we have given out of the abundance of our heart and said, thank you, God. And we leave out fuller than when we came in. That's a far cry from, My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. It's different. But it begins with what we've hidden in our heart. It begins with where we have spent our time in the week. The man who makes his delight in the law of the Lord, in his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 1 and verse 2. Is that you? Is that me? That's the one who's going to be blessed. But that's also going to be the one that blesses loudly, with a loud voice, the Lord God and said, Blessed are you, O Lord. What does the text mean? Interpretation. Psalm 119 verse 11. What does it mean? <laughs> how have you stored up God's word in your heart? Or how do we store up God's word in your heart? Meditate daily. What does that look like? <laughs> Philip remembers my wiener dog trail uh, analogy. I don't know if you were here for that, but I'm not going to repeat it at this time. Thank you. Um, I want to take a verse like Psalm 119 verse 11, and I want to meditate on it. I may have a reminder, or I may put it again on my lock screen on my phone, so that every single time I pick up that phone, I pick it up a lot during the day, and I take a look at it, I see my word I've hidden in my heart that I might have sinned against thee. And I'm going to stop before I even open my phone. I'm going to think about that verse. I'm going to put that verse in the forefront of my mind. You know what? And I know that sometimes it is that uh, things get pushed to the front, especially as our weeks get busy, and we take that verse, and I'm going to put it on one of the back burners. I'm going to let it continue to stew. But every chance I get, I'm going to bring it back up to the front burner and say, your word. Why is it not something else? Why is it God's word? 
Why did he use the word, your word, I have hidden? Why did he hide it? What does it mean to hide something in your heart? That would be a place where uh, Esword or a Bible concordance or something might, he might, uh, might help. Why did he say, your word I have hidden? Why did he say, your word I have hidden in my heart? Why All right, secure place, it's stored. Um, it's a storage locker, okay? Here's something I'm going to put right here. Why did he say, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not? What's the implication? I might. I might sin against you. But what's going to keep me from that? Your word, which is hidden in my heart. Why did he say, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin? Why did he say, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you or against thee? If you break it down, and I'm taking this throughout the day, as Philip mentioned, and we're meditating on this. Maybe it's not so, so technically advanced as a cell phone. Maybe it's just you taking a note card and writing down a single verse and putting it in your pocket. And every time you reach into your pocket for your billfold or something else, you reach out and grab that card and take a look at it. I want to stick this word. I want to put this word in my heart. I want to hide it in my mind. I want to think about it again and again and again. I want to roll it over in my mind to make a difference in my life. And as I do that, you know what's going to happen is the applications are going to become more clear. It's going to be easier to understand the daily situations where I'm going to need the Word of God to help me. Danny. It is, yes, sir. Absolutely. And I know that Genesis 4 teaches me that sin is crouching at the door like it did with Abel, that it's desirous for me. What is it that I want to do? I want to guard against sin. I want to keep my life from doing the things that's contrary to God and his will for my life. I'm going to keep from doing those things that are offensive to God. Well, think about it. When you first got married, you know, you, you started doing things and they say that love is blind, but marriage is an eye opener, right? You suddenly see, start seeing this person and realize that you've got them with all the goods and with all the bads. And you find that your wife has a particular way of loading the dishwasher. I don't know. And you're doing those things and you're just kind of going through it. But it is that when you learn that and that it's really offensive to her the way you're doing this. And again, this may be a poor illustration. But what are you going to do? I may have to change the way that I fold the towels. And I actually did when, I, when we got married because it wasn't anything to me. Just fold them up and throw them in the cabinet. You know, she said, no, you have to fold them like this. And so I wanted to do the things that please the wife. What about God? Folks, we have a relationship with him. We see that there are some things that I do in my life that are offensive to him. I don't want to be offensive to God. I don't want to treat God like he's just an added bonus in my life and everything else that I'm doing. I want to treat him like he's the center of everything that I've done. Why? Because I'm his. I belong to him. So as I do things and as I live my life, I hide his word in my heart that I might not sin against him, that I might not cause an offense that he would hold against me because of that. You see the application of this. One preacher put it, you can say it like this, draw a little dividing lines between these three points. Your word is the very best possession. What is it that's going to last, outlast this life? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands Forever. Peter quotes from Isaiah, I believe, in First uh, Peter. Your word, the very best possession. Your word I have hidden in my heart, the very best 
place. Where's God's word going to change your life? It's going to change your life from the inside out if you hide it in the right place, if you put it in the right place. Best possession, you've hidden in the right place, in the very best place. Your word I've hidden in my heart, this third section, that I might not sin against you for the best possible purpose. Best possession, best place, best purpose. This is what I want to do with the word of God. This is the person God wants me to be. And if I want to continue to seek God with my whole heart, I've got to hide the right thing in my heart. Folks, the truth is, is that you can't seek God any more than you know him. And as you know him and as you get to know him through his word, and as you hide more and more of his word in your heart, it's going to make more and more of a difference in your life. You're going to see the fruit of those things. But if we spend so much time studying other things, finding other things to put in our heart, you can be assured that, there's not going to be too many occasions that we're going to say, Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Brothers and sisters, hide God's word in your heart. It's going to make a difference in your life. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll be dismissed. God, once again, we come before you thankful so much for your great love towards us. And God, as we prepare to enter into our worship period, may it be, Father, that we lift up to you the praise that you are so richly due. And may it be, Father, that you're glorified in this place by the worship we offer. Thank you, Father, so much for your word. Thank you, God, so much for the blessing and the joy that it is to us. And God, may it be that our delight can be in your statutes, in your law, in your precepts. Father, help us keep our feet from wandering but may it ever be that we seek you with our whole hearts. Thank you, God, so much for your great love, and thank you, Father, so much for your word which reveals Jesus Christ to us. May we follow him with our whole hearts and strive to be his disciples. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you all very much. We will begin our worship in just a moment.